Thank you. It's always nice to hear lively conversation and our guests enjoying one another's company in addition to our great event program and speaker. So please now join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers. And again, my name is Danny Asaf and have the pleasure of serving as the Canadian president of the Canadian Club of Toronto for the 2015-2016 season. C'est un honneur de présenter cet événement avec le Club canadien de Toronto aujourd'hui. Nous donnons une grande valeur et nous encourageons l'amitié de nos clubs pour les années à venir. As you know, for many years, the Canadian Club has been at the forefront of providing a venue for the free and open exchange of ideas that impact our daily lives. Through our programs and activities, including our youth and young leaders programs, diversity city partnerships, media and social opportunities, we offer access to leading thinkers from the political, business and, political sec and public sectors. And to learn more about the club, we invite you to uh, look up our website at canadianclub.org. And you can also join the conversation via Twitter at CDNCLBTO or by simply using that hashtag. I would like to take an opportunity to express our thanks and gratitude for today's sponsors, BMO Capital Markets and Power Financial Corporation. Thank you very much for your generous support. I would also like to thank MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event space, and VVC for the live streaming of today's event. Today, as we look out into the issues that impact our daily lives, it is clear that financial security and the future of us as individual Canadians is something we're all thinking about. Whether it's the recent election and the debates surrounding federal pension plans or provincial pension plans, or whether, as today, we're going to talk about the role of the private sector in playing that vital link between our present and our future. And as demographics and markets will dictate, we are going to have to see the role of the private sector grow and the importance of that connection and the significance of the financial we advice we receive as individual Canadians is going to only become more and more relevant to us. And that is why it's a pleasure to have our guest today on behalf of one of our major corporations in this area to tell us a little bit about their experience and about the market and the future as they see it. Today's guest speaker, who holds a PhD in economics, brings decades of senior financial leadership to our podium. Henri Paul Rousseau has been, vice, has been a vice chairman of Power Corporation and of Power Financial since 2009. He's a director of several power group companies. These include Great West Life, London Life, Canada Life Financial, and McKenzie Financial. Previously, he held the position of President and Chief Executive Officer of the Caisse de Depot et Placement du Québec. Prior to that, he was President and Chief Executive Officer of Laurentian Bank of Canada. He served on the Board of Directors of the Global Financial Markets Association until only last year. Mr. Rousseau has been awarded honorary doctorates for his outstanding citizenship and contribution to economics from Concordia University, Université Lumière Lyon II in France, University Laval, University de Sherbrooke. In 2006, he was also named a great Montrealer 
by the Board of Trade of Metropolitan Montreal's Academy of Great Montrealers. Mr. Rousseau obtained his PhD in economics from close by here, the University of Western Ontario. His thesis received the prize for the best doctoral dissertation in economics. He was professor of economics at both Université Laval and Université du Québec à Montréal. Mr. Rousseau's community is deep and extensive. He is chairman of the Montreal Heart Institute Foundation and is active in a number of community and not-for-profit health and education programs. Mr. Rousseau has graciously agreed to take questions from our live audience as well following his presentation. And on that note, Mr. Rousseau, bienvenue. Our podium is yours. <laughs> we love pictures here. Wonderful. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. You have now had your lunch, and I'll try to do my best so that you go back at the office in time, uh, hopefully with some uh, new material to discuss. Thank you again. Uh, I'm very honored to be with you today and to be invited to address this audience. The Toronto Club, Canadian Club in Toronto and the Club Canadien are very important to the city and also to Canada. Je voudrais commencer par féliciter le Club canadien de Toronto pour son apport aux faits français ici dans la ville reine. Comme son mandat le dénonce, si vous allez voir sur son site, le Club canadien est une tribune qui offre des rendez-vous en français, donnant l'occasion aux francophones et francophiles de Toronto d'échanger, de s'enrichir et d'établir de nouveaux contacts. Le Club agit comme un élément catalyseur et rassembleur de la communauté francophone à Toronto au niveau du milieu des affaires, du milieu académique, du milieu culturel et gouvernemental. Bravo pour cette initiative au Club canadien et merci d'avoir organisé cet événement ensemble, euh, démontrant l'importance de nos deux grandes langues au Canada. La question qui est posée aujourd'hui est simple, mais pourtant un petit peu troublante, provocante. Y a-t-il une valeur au service du conseiller financier? So, is there any value in financial advice? Plusieurs d'entre vous diront que c'est une question rhétorique, et vous n'avez pas tard. Indeed, I hope to convey to you three critical messages. First, the major sources of the polemic around the value of advice lies in the confusions concerning what is the value of advice. If it is defined as the potential impact of financial advice on the creation of financial wealth over time, as we will see, there is substantial value in financial advice. My second point, c'est que le Conseil financier a une valeur que nous devrions nous préoccuper pour s'assurer que tous les Canadiens ont accès au Conseil financier. C'est pourquoi intervenir dans les méthodes de rémunération des conseillers financiers comme par exemple en bannissant des commissions intégrées dans les fonds communs de placement, pourrait, et on le verra, avoir un effet très négatif sur l'accès au Conseil financier pour les Canadiens. Et mon troisième point, c'est qu'il faut améliorer la qualité des services conseils au Canada 
Et à cet effet, il, va, il sera avantageux que l'industrie financière et les autorités réglementaires travaillent de plus en plus ensemble à cet effet. So, to begin, let me say that you probably know this, but a large proportion of Canadians across all wealth bands relying on the guidance of the financial advisors for their investment. According to Investor Economics, 62% of the personal financial assets in this country, with a total amount of $3.6 trillion at the end of 2014, are held in accounts where a financial advisor is engaged. The remaining 38% of personal financial assets that are not held in the advice relationship, and for the most part, two-thirds, are bank deposit GICs or assets held by financial savvy and self-advised people like you guys and girls. Maybe not. The other point is that contrary to what you may perceive and many would say, financial advice is not only used by the rich, and it's not only for the rich. In fact, the proportion of households using financial advice is remarkably constant across income groups. It varies between 20, 30, 31 sorry, and 34%. This is much more than what you will find in other countries like UK, Australia, Ireland, where financial advice is used at a level of around 10%. So Canadians are users of financial advice in a proportion that is very large compared to other countries. In addition, research has shown that 40% of the case where an advice relationship was initiated, the amount of money under management was lower than $10,000. Moreover, in 70% of the case, the amount under management was around $50,000, which means that we have to remember that when people start having a relationship with an advisor, they're not rich. They start with what they have. Il est utile de rappeler cependant que la, le service de conseil financier, c'est un continuum. On a plusieurs types de conseils financiers. À un bout du spectre, il n'y a pratiquement aucun conseil qui est offert et l'individu fait ses transactions. Et à l'autre bout, on a une relation très intime entre le conseiller et son client où on lui procure des services qui sont sur mesure et souvent de haut de gamme. Entre les deux, on a une querelle de, de modèles Et récemment, on a vu les conseillers robots arriver sur le marché. In this context of financial advice, we are very happy and we applaud the move by regulators to make account level rate of return, the cost of financial advice and product distribution more transparent, which will significantly improve the information investors have to evaluate and appraise the value of the advice they receive against the cost of that advice. We fully support CRM2, and I am pleased to share with you that Investors Group, which is part of our financial corporation group company, has been reporting account-level rate of return compliant with CRM2 requirements for one, three, and five-year periods to the vast majority of its clients for the statement period ending last June. This is well in advance, advance of the schedule. We do support strongly transparency and disclosure because precisely we 
believe strongly in the value of advice for customer, and that's why transparency is so important. Here's my first critical message. Contrary to what most people will think when we think about a financial advisor, we do not believe that the value of advice is mainly and strictly restricted to some superior way of picking asset, which is important, picking asset or picking mutual funds. Some study seek to demonstrate that even in the case where an advisor generates some added value, the value that we call in the technical world the alpha over the benchmark, that value, they say, is consumed by the cost of advice charged to clients. Well, even if that were true, and I think that the reality is more complex than this study would pretend, that beside the point. Why is that? Today, as was just mentioned, financial markets are much more complex than they were before, and that will be forever. The investors have so many choices to make. Which investment strategy? Will it be passive? Will it be active? Will it be hybrid? Will it be a wrap account? Which asset? Which risk? Bonds, equity, absolute return, relative return, domestic, international risk, developed market exposure, emerging market exposure, real estate, hedge fund, to name a few. The choice is fantastically great and numerous. Financial advisors come in. They support their clients in what is this universe of complex financial products and strategies. The value they provide lies in helping clients define their investment policy, construct their portfolio, and also rebalance them over time. This is what we call the value associated with the beta story, that is, where do you have to be exposed to the marketplace. And as you know, the beta is quite important because the structure of your portfolio, in many cases, will decide how much money you'll make over time and which risk you will have, obviously. And by the way, we know that many of the decisions concerning your beta, how you construct and rebalance your portfolio, may well be in conflict with a pure alpha decision. To give an example, rebalancing the portfolio after a major change in relative prices, relative values, or relative values of the funds may induce a decision to reduce the ownership of the best performing funds or best performing assets because you are rebalancing, which means that if you are measuring the value of advice at the point of the alpha, you'll miss the impact from beta. So you get a right conclusion, but the scope is not the right one. But more importantly, financial advisors encourage their clients to save in the first place. They help them to stay the course in volatile time. This is the saving, investment, market discipline, supported by what we can call behavioral advice that Morningstar referred to as gamma. And this gamma corresponds also to a lot of advice concerning credit, debt management, tax optimization, real estate, and estate planning. All this is part of the relationship with the advisor and his clients. And as Pierre Lotzi has noted in a forthcoming paper, while it is true that individual financial literacy is a laudable, valuable, for most individuals, certainly 
in the aggregate. It is not sufficient to compensate for individual behavior weaknesses that we know from behavioral economics, such as procrastination, inertia, lost aversion, all these things that the market and people know. That's why the financial advisor come in. That's what he does, is to counterbalance these weaknesses, which are natural and that we know about now. En somme, la valeur du service conseil ne vient pas du stock picking de l'alpha, elle vient aussi du bêta, mais surtout du gamma. J'aimerais pousser cet aspect plus loin en vous parlant d'un résultat important d'une étude qui a été publiée récemment. An econometric study by Professor Claude Market from Cyrano, published in the Annals of Economics and Finance, shows that the presence of financial advisors, when engaged for a period of four years and more, contribute positively and significantly to the level of asset when the impact of all other variables are taken into account. For instance, after 15 years or more with the financial advisors, they also accumulate 2.73 more assets, this is a lot, than a non-advised household. That difference is the outcome not by stock picking mainly, but basically to the improved saving discipline over time. Moreover, and you are certainly all aware, and we just discussed that, the debate about are Canadians ready for retirement. Well, here also, a recent study by McKinsey, published this year, showed that also that do not have an employer pension plan, but are nevertheless on track to maintain their standard of living in retirement. Those also are twice likely to use the financial advisors as those are sold that are not on track. It means something. Finalement, récemment, le conference board nous montrait que sur le plan macroéconomique, la valeur des conseils financiers, parce qu'elle a un effet positif sur l'épargne à long terme, l'épargne volontaire, a un impact à long terme sur la croissance économique et son potentiel. Comme vous le voyez, chez nous, nous sommes très convaincus qu'il y a une valeur au service conseil Et c'est pour cette raison qu'il est justifié de payer pour ce service. So, how do Canadians pay for advice? In our marketplace, broadly speaking, there exists two approaches to access and pay for financial advice. They largely depend on the size of the investment account. On the one end, the fee-based advisor charge an asset-based fee directly to the investor while on the other hand, the commission-based advisor is paid a trailing commission from the fund manufacturer. Regardless of the method of compensation, the service delivery and the costs are similar. And as a result of CRM2, total transparency and information provided to investors are essentially consistent between the two approaches. For investors, the advantage principal of an approach based on the honoraires est qu'il devient possible de négocier ces frais en fonction de la taille des fonds administrés. En conséquence, c'est un modèle parfait qui convient pour les investisseurs plus fortunés. Dans ce cas, le conseil financier ne représente qu'un faible pourcentage des frais total de l'investissement. La plupart des conseillers financiers, fonctionnant avec ce modèle d'honoraire, vont exiger un montant minimum, 600 000, mais de plus en plus 250 000, avant d'ouvrir un compte. These investment minimum make the fee-based advice 
variable suitable to investors with a lot of investment, a lot of assets, but not for those who have little to invest or are starting a life to invest. This is the key point. This is why the vast majority of investors, when they seek out, they look at the more simple, accessible, commission-based compensation model, where the advisor will not typically require any minimum investment. Remember that three-quarter of the advice relationship began with financial assets of no more than $50,000. This is reality. In Canada, the commission-based compensation model make it possible, possible sorry, for entrepreneurial advisor to provide much-needed access to advice and services to all households, regardless of income level, wealth level, and geographic situation. These are also that higher-end fee-based advisor would find unprofitable. At a time where large financial companies are reducing services, closing office, moving their clients online, financial advisors can continue to grow their business by building long-term relationships with their clients. These personal relationships are the best way to help individuals and family to reach their financial goals and be able to retire correctly. By the way, you've certainly been hearing the, frequently that Canadian financial media will tell you many times that Canadian mutual fund costs are higher in Canada than the U.S. I could not resist to say that this is not tout à fait exact. Sure, our management expense ratio, which is what the way we measure the total cost of the mutual funds for the investors, includes in that not only the manufacturing cost, but also the cost of distribution, the fee, the commission that is paid to the dealer. In the United States, on the other hand, it's separate. The financial advice is charged separately. So no surprise if you compare the management expense ratio between the two countries, you get a false conclusion. By the way, on the, on, on, in, in our country it is taxed, and in other countries it's not. So you have to take into account what is behind all this. This is my second critical message. While some believe that the commission-based model used by mutual fund company to pay an advisor, some believe that this results in an unmanageable conflict of interest. And here we come to the matter. We, us, we take the view that this is an essential feature that make financial advice accessible to middle income and lower asset investors. And this is key for the future of the country. Where there is an ongoing embedded compensation in mutual fund, the advisor, you will realize that, will typically face and incur a higher cost of providing advice when you start the relationship at the beginning. But they do so in return with the perspective of a reward over time through trailing commission which track the growth of the assets of the would-be customer and clients. So this long-term aspect is because of that, that both the clients and the advisor are not in conflict of interest. They share an interest of building the wealth of the clients in the future. The access to advice is critical, and this is why tinkering with the commission-based model might trigger the advice gap in this country 
that would undermine the buildup of individual savings in Canada and for major negative consequence. Such an advised gap would be bound to have also negative impact on the making of critical decisions by households and persons close to retirement. At that point in, in life, the timing of your retirement is a question, the optimal portfolio is a question, the issue of what to do with your money, how much do you convert into guaranteed income, how much to keep in liquidity, all these are questions that more Canadians need advice on. So it's not the time to reduce the access to advice. In fact, the impact of changing the commission base, we know a little bit about it because other countries have done that. Recently, in the UK, as a result of what is called the Retail Distribution Review, RDR, for those in the business, in which the payment of fee or commission to distributors by manufacturer was prohibited. It's no longer legal to do that in the UK. The resulting advice gap is very real and directly observable in a report recently done by the same Financial Conduct Authority. In that case, the number of financial advisors reduced by almost a quarter of that. Plus important encore, the number of conseillers financiers who have quitted the affairs has started to realize dès l'annonce, avant même que la loi soit implantée. So they were very quick. And what happened is that those who left, left, and those who are still in the business choose to go after clients that were ready to pay with a fee approach as opposed to a commission one. This has left many households in the UK with a significantly reduced access to financial advice. And we observe a sharp decline in the opening of investment account by less than 20 people. This decline is of sufficient concern in the UK that Her Majesty Treasury just launched in October 2015, a few weeks ago, a financial advice market review this time, where terms of reference specifically include examining the advice gap for those people who want to work hard, do the right thing, and get on in life, but do not have significant wealth. Could not be more precise. The expectation is that in the next budget in 2016, the UK government will come with a series of measures to reintroduce advice on the system, reintroduce access to advice. Looking forward to see how they do that. I think the UK's experience is a great lesson for us in this country. Don't remember, we used that at 30%, they were only at 10 Now, I will want to address directly a concern that the very structure of commission-based compensation model create, according to some approach, an irreparable conflict of interest between the financial advisors and their clients. In a recent study, Professor Douglas Cumming from York University reached two conclusions. First, fund performance attract net higher sales funds. Second, net sales are more sensitive to fund performance under a fee-based model than under a commission-based model. This study must be read. It's an interesting study. It's based on a unique data set, and it's measured a relationship between compensation structure and flow of funds. This is quite novel, and it's a welcome study in the current debate. I will note, however, two things. 
First, if you read the study, you will realize the methodology itself is quite complex, but more importantly, the actual results are more nuanced than some of the early comments came out of it. More importantly, Professor Cummings' study must be included in the category of studies that intend to measure the impact of value of advice on alpha. That is, the impact of the compensation model on the probability of picking the best performing funds among all comparable funds of the same category. And this is measured by the net flow of funds. In other words, the study measured the impact not at the gamma level, but at the alpha, which is okay, which is only part of the story. As I explained earlier, the nature of the advice is much more complex. It's around three aspects, the alpha, the beta, and the gamma, and the measure must be at the end. What is the impact of all this on the client's value of wealth, net wealth, including that net of debt over time? And some financial flows and financial performance are only one aspect of the ultimate goal, which is to build up financial wealth over time. To achieve that goal, however, the essential ingredient is the quality of financial advice. And here, and this is my third remark, there's room to improvement in Canada. And the best way would be to have a larger cooperation between the industry and the regulator. Let me go to that. Right now, we start from a good point. Parce qu'en effet, nous avons plusieurs choses dans le système de réglementation qui jouent en la faveur de la qualité du service de conseil. La transparence, la divulgation, qui va venir avec CRM2, ce qu'on traduit en français par MRCC2, euh, vont standardiser et permettre aux clients de bien voir l'expérience qu'ils ont avec le conseiller financier. Secondly, in addition to all this, there exists a legal standard set by IROC and MFDA would establish an I-bar for professionals to conduct. Finally, current regulatory standards for advisors in Canada are quite comparable and in some cases better than standards you would find in the US, UK, and Australia. And this is confirmed by a recent legal review. But still, there is really room for improvement in Canada about financial advice, concerning financial advice. And this has been shown recently by a mystery shopping exercise by the, and by the, sponsored by the Ontario Security Commission with the collaboration of IROC and MFDA. Let me conclude by saying that we can improve all this if we were agree on the three following measures. We must improve the quality of advice in Canada as we want to maintain access and we believe in its value. First, let us define and enforce professional qualification standards as embodied in professional designations, such as the certified financial planners. That supposes here a common formal training with agreed curriculum. And I think governments are on that page. Quebec has done a lot on that, and I believe Ontario is moving that too, in that direction. Second, like any other professional sector, permanent training and education should be the rule. There's no, uh, it's normal to have that. Any professional need to do that. From uh, accounting to other professions. Third, which is the most important thing, and I'm concluding like this, on this, upholding these standards and ensuring that they are continuously met is of the utmost importance. 
For that purpose, we need imagination from both the regulatory authorities and the industry to cooperate and to develop appropriate ways to value and appreciate and evaluate what is created as a net value resulting from a long-term client-advisor relationship. And to be clear, not only at the spot of eventual first meeting. It has to be deep and it has to be regular. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to me. I want to let you with three things. There's value of advice and tremendous value. It's a complex phenomena. We have to look at the net result, at the gamma. Be careful about not losing access, but increasing access, and it has to do with how we pay advisor. And third, the industry and the regulator, instead of going backward, should go forward and build on new rules, new capacity, and new ways to measure the value of advice in the interest of Canadian. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup, Monsieur Rousseau. And he has uh, generously agreed to take a few questions. We have time for a couple of questions. If you've got one, please identify yourself, and uh, one of our uh, co-hosts and staff will be happy to uh, pass the mic. Mr. Campion. I can probably be heard. <laughs> if, benefit, uh, if, if advice is essential for the majority of Canadians who don't have a lot of money, Aren't defined benefit plans in the workplace the best way to proceed? And we've pretty well abandoned those plans in favor of self-saving, and it strikes me that that's a highly risky adventure that we're on. Thank you for your questions. Uh, first, in the case of Canada, contrary to what you could read, we know from many studies from Jack Mintz to McKinsey to BTC to uh, Milton, many other actuaries, we know one thing. There's about 18 to 20 percent of Canadian households that are not ready for retirement. The rest of others are ready, so we should care about that. So we don't have a big issue. It's a very precise and targeted issue. What is that issue? It's people that at work don't have a working plan or don't save enough. We know that. The working plan is more important than not having a plan. It's having a plan. And we know also that those who don't have a plan but do save a lot are okay also. So the issue is about saving. When it comes to the DB world versus the DC world, in Canada we have the first level of pension benefit, which is basically social security. It's not a pension benefit, but it's covered the basic, right? And we have issue there for single people and more importantly women that could be correct. The second group is coming from the CPP, QPP, and that is another 20%. So we start with more or less 40, 42% of, uh, of income that is already unretized and you receive from the system, public system. Lower from higher income, but higher for, uh, for lower income, right? So the rest of it, it comes to the 20% we're talking. And there, I'll be happy if the DB world will come back. But we know one thing, why is it disappearing? It was too nice. It's so cute, so perfect, that it doesn't fit in the world of today. And because of that, we have to move to a different world. What does it mean? It means that we have to improve the system, but it could be done very quickly by having access to a plan. I'll give an example in Quebec, where the PRPP 
was introduced. It's a Quebec version, but now they're launching a system where at the workplace, employees and employers can work together and have a saving plan. Saving is more important than anything else. If you force everybody to save at a higher level to make sure that 20% who don't save, you create other negative impact, which are huge, because you're forced saving on people that don't need to save. And that won't work, because what will happen, they would just substitute. So we need a, a targeted approach, and that's why I'm not religious about DBDC. I'm just saying that it happens that DC is moving, and in the, C, in the DC world is the saving and the contribution rate. The other point I want to make is that some people have access to a plan, but the level of contribution is too low. This is what it is. You have to save for the future. And if, if you do that, then the system, not that it is irrelevant, but it is at the margin. And again, we're targeting about a very specific group of people here. Thank you. We have another question over here. Thank you. Yes. Hi everyone, I'm Diane from Collège Boreal. Et euh, j'ai une question, au fait, je suis étudiante en business et je voudrais savoir si, euh, en tant qu'étudiant, si on a des conseils, quels conseils vous nous donnez sur le plan financier? Ah, uh, the question, the question is, quel conseil, which, which, how advice I would give to a student in business? Make sure you, you do your homework. Uh, the student life is the best part of your life. Enjoy it. Uh, and, and make sure you learn as much as you want as you can. And, and by the way, this is just the beginning of a learning. Life is learning every day forever. Uh, second advice I'll give to you is that if you are aiming at something, go for it. Thank you. Thank you. And we have, we have time for one last question over here, please. Oui, merci, Monsieur Rousseau, merci pour votre présentation. Euh, J'aimerais savoir, euh, dans le G20, le Canada se situe con, comment, à quel niveau, au niveau euh, des épargnants, de ses constituants, euh, dans, leur, dans leur pays, généralement? Merci. Je n'ai pas la réponse pour le G20. Je peux vous dire que, quand on regarde le Canada versus les États-Unis, on a toujours cette proportion 1 pour 10. C'est vrai aussi quand on parle de pension, quand on parle d'épargne, quand on parle, on est très comparable. Deuxièmement, quand on regarde les systèmes de pension à travers le monde, surtout le monde euh, défini comme étant euh, l'Angleterre, les États-Unis, le Canada, l'Australie, les pays d'Europe, on va s'apercevoir que dans notre cas à nous, la proportion de notre système qui est capitalisé est plus forte. Donc, on est relativement chanceux qu'il y a des gens en 1960 qui ont créé le Fonds de pension du Canada parce que, grâce à ça, on a maintenant un système qui est robuste. Pourquoi il est robuste? Parce qu'il y a quatre ou même cinq piliers. On a le pilier de la sécurité sociale, qui est très solide, qui doit être ajusté pour les personnes âgées, surtout pour les femmes. On a le pilier de la, du Fonds de pension du Canada, qui est en bonne santé. On a le pilier de l'épargne enregistrée collective et individuelle. Et on a le pilier de l'épargne individuelle plus l'équité que vous avez dans votre maison ou dans, vos, dans votre entreprise. Donc, on a un système à 4-5 piliers qui fait qu'au total, quand vous comparez le Canada avec d'autres pays, nos gens sont assez bien préparés pour la retraite, la pauvreté des personnes âgées est assez faible et on a développé une psychose face à ça au Canada pour toutes sortes de raisons qui ont fait au trait que le marché du travail font, euh, change, que les taux d'intérêt sont bas, que les rendements sont, sont difficiles. Alors, tout ça, c'est vrai. Mais ça ne veut pas dire que les Canadiens ne sont pas prêts. On est parmi un des pays au monde où on a un meilleur système de retraite que beaucoup de pays. La France a un système fantastique, mais il n'est pas capitalisé. 
Donc, c'est la meilleure retraite qu'on ne peut pas avoir, mais le lendemain, on ne sait pas parce qu'il n'y a pas de capital contre ça. Alors, nous, qu'est-ce qu'on a? On a un, pays, un système qui est soutenable parce qu'on a des réserves privées et publiques derrière les engagements de retraite, puis en même temps, on a une bonne performance parce que notre niveau de pauvreté et de préparation de retraite est assez élevé par rapport à d'autres pays. On a des enjeux, mais très localisés, qu'on peut identifier qu'on peut corriger. Thank you. Merci. Merci beaucoup, tout le monde. Thank you. As, as I mentioned earlier, it's our pleasure to be hosting this event uh, in conjunction with uh, our partners, uh, Club Canadien de Toronto today. And we look forward, as the Canadian Club of Toronto, to working with them in fostering, as I mentioned earlier, a long and enduring partnership and have more of these events together. On that note, I would like to introduce the president of uh, the C Club Canadien de Toronto, uh, Rodrigue Gilbert, to say a few words of additional thanks. Thank you very much. Monsieur Rousseau, Monsieur le Consul, distinguished invités, dear guests. Mon nom est Rodrigue Gilbert. Lately, it's been Rod Gilbert. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the hockey player, but I do play hockey, and I recognize some players that I play with here. Uh, C'est un honneur, it's an honor to have Monsieur Rousseau ici. I met with him re recently, uh, not recently, in his office in Montreal. And gracefully, now Mr. Rousseau has an office in Toronto on Bay Street. So I will see you more. So it's an honor to have you here in the heart of Toronto and how much you personally and your firm have done for Canada. We have a unique country and yet we have to be very proud of it. Mr. Rousseau, on behalf of the Club Canadien and the Canadian Club, I would like to thank you for sharing your economic brilliance with us this afternoon. As consumer of financial information and products, the advice that is offered can be overwhelming. It is for me, even for those who are financially savvy. Okay. Mr. Rousseau, your frank and refreshing perspective certainly shed light on the types of issues we should be considering before acting on the financial advice we receive. Alors, C'est très, euh, très difficile de s'y comprendre dans le domaine de, de, du conseil financier et euh, très souvent, et c'est très difficile pour les consommateurs, même ceux qui sont euh, avertis, de comprendre euh, la situation. Et aujourd'hui, vous avez jeté une lumière très importante pour, pour nous tous. We are deeply grateful to, uh, to you for taking the time to address the question that is often asked, but rarely answered. We learned today that there is value in the financial advice offered by Mr. Rousseau et votre organisation et vos institutions. I would like to thank you uh, formally with a gift, uh, un certificat cadeau de la galerie d'art Inuit Baffin. The in, in, art, whoa. <laughs> uh, I have to be careful. The uh, galerie d'art Inuit Baffin, the Baffin Inuit Art Gallery. Monsieur Rousseau. This concludes our program today. I would like to again thank our sponsors, BMO Capital Markets, and Power Financial Corporation. Thank you for your generous support. It's very important. For, uh, thank you for very much to the Canadian Club and the Club Canadien. Thank you, Danny, and um, your, or your team. 
It's been graceful and lovely to work with you, and we will have more events together. Merci infiniment. Merci beaucoup.